Our second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power, and so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who was from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. <clears throat> Excuse me. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, the word of the Lord. So that video was produced by the Barna Research Group. The Barna Research Group has done a lot of work in evaluating and, and watching the trends of religion in America, specifically looking at the trends in and out of the church, studying the church itself, studying culture in America, and where they're diverging and parting. They, like the Pew Research Group, have done a lot of look at where things stand right now in our current culture. And here's what we're finding based on these research trends. The Pew Research Group found the same thing the Barna Group found. People are leaving Christianity, especially young people. The Barna Group put it as mosaics. I would call them millennials, people born between 1980 and 2000. And they're one of the key groups that, pe that people are leaving the church in droves, basically. Here's what the Pew Research found about overall trends in America. They found that between 2007 and 2014, they did these two studies that had the exact same questions being asked. In 2007, 16% of Americans determined that they were non-faithful, non-believers of anything. They were unaffiliated, 16%. By 2014, just seven years later, that number had gone from 16% to 23%. An 8% increase in people who said, I reject everything. And in the same seven years, Christianity as a whole has declined by 8% in America. And that's largely from the de-churched group. 
dechurched, meaning they grew up in the church, they have experiences with it, but they've found either that the church has hurt and offended them, or the church doesn't seem to have the answers for the world they're living in. 8% decline in seven years. That's not a good trajectory. Millennials in general, as the bottom two of this thing shows, have now disassociated themselves with all religion at about 35% rate. It's the highest demographic rate of rejecting religion ever in American history. Michael Gerson, an editorialist for the Washington Post, wrote about this just a few weeks ago, and he cited this. He said this, what we are seeing if we evaluate all these Pew Research trends and these others is we are seeing the collapse of casual Christianity and of religious belief as civic assumption. If you're of the older generation, you know what that looks like. You don't enter a town without becoming a member of a church. Everyone does it. Or at least that's the way it was 50 years ago. That's no longer the case, that people move into a town and assume they're going to find a church or join one. And in many ways, I actually think that what Gerson is pointing at is a very good thing. Because casual Christianity is very different than discipleship to Jesus Christ. The Barna Research Group, which produced that video we just watched, is the one that's done the most work looking specifically at millennials. And the, the title of the phrase that was repeated in there was, you lost me. And the question is why? Why has the church lost the culture and especially people under 40? A lot of it has to do with perceptions of Christians. Christians, by and large, by those outside of the church, are considered hypocritical intolerant, overly political. People outside the church have questions for Christianity that it seems like Christians aren't very good at answering. Like, how can a loving God send people to hell? How can you say Jesus is the only way? Do science and faith in Christianity really allow themselves in the same room? The culture has determined this. Christians are out of touch, bigoted, and flat wrong. And it's not just young people. Americans are questioning Christians and Christianity. And their views are increasingly negative. Of a, a survey that was done by Barna of people who are outside the church, they don't consider themselves Christians. In 1996, 15% of them 15% had a negative view of the church as a cultural institution in society. As in, oh, it's good to have churches in the community, they're helpful. 15% had a negative view of the church. In 2007, that number increased to 40% negative view of the church. And that was in 2007. It's probably well over 50% negative view now. David Kinneman, who heads the Barna Research Group and has done most of the work related to millennials, said, the church has more than an image problem. It's not a new marketing campaign we need. The negative responses are incredibly deep and the feelings are very intense. And the church has failed to understand that. So how do we respond? One thing we need to do is understand the culture better. What is the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age? 
what is the cultural moment that we're in? What is behind what drives people's thinking, especially as it relates to God, the world around them, Christianity? The cultural moment that we're in upholds two main values. One, moral relativism. Relativism is each person must determine what is true and right on their own, right? And it's basically this, there is no such thing as objective truth. Your beliefs are simply your opinions. There's no foundational truth or core belief that we all must buy into. Moral relativism. The second primary value of our current culture is radical individualism. We've talked about that here at CCV so many times. We are individualists because we're Americans. America was founded by people who left their families, left their home of origin, left their language of origin. They were individualists. Nobody did that. And our culture has continued to push that into radical individualism, where each person on their own must decide what's good and right and best for them. And basically today in America, there is no there is no common authority. The only authority is me. What are the aims of this cultural moment? The aims are to maximize freedom. It's to protect and expand personal liberties. And the goal is fulfillment through self-discovery. So you hear this phrase, or at least people think this way, do what makes you happy. Am I doing what makes me happy? I'm going to school here because that will make me happy. This is a life choice I'm making because this will make me happy. And ultimately, it's trying to get something deeper than happiness. It is trying to find fulfillment. The only constraints on what you can do is, as Professor Dale Keene pointed out in his book, Sex in the Eye World, you may not harm others. You may not constrain others from doing what they want and you may not criticize other people's choices. You can do whatever you want so long as you don't harm, constrain, or criticize. Every person today must find identity and purpose and meaning and fulfillment on their own. So how do we respond? I want us to look at an image as we think about how we might respond. It's the image of the genderbred person. So look at this for a moment. So, just as a little bit more, this was put as a poster on the wall of a high school bathroom in the area not this high school, but another one, by students. A student group put this up. How do we respond to the culture? My first question is, how do you respond to this? So at two different ends, we can look at this and embrace it, 
as this is a great opportunity for people to be able to find themselves and that there should be every opportunity to go in any direction as you're finding your own identity and sexuality amongst many other ways that we need to find ourselves. So this is a good thing that this should be in a high school wall and kids should be understanding and discerning these things. Another response is anger. I can't believe this is up in a high school. Who do they think they are? This needs to come down. This is the problem with the world today. Anger or embrace? How would Jesus respond? Think about a 14-year-old walking into that bathroom, and she's looking at this, and it's a part of the way that she's trying to understand the world around her and herself in it. And here's the question if you're a 14-year-old, where do I turn? Is money and fame the answer? Most surveys of people under 25 find that the number one thing young people are after is actually money or fame. The number one pursuit is famousness or wealth. Is that it? You're 14. Is it sex? Is it beauty in your body? Is it academic success, career success? As a 14-year-old, are you asking questions like, what really matters? What can I do or where can I go in life that's going to last? Or is the answer always, am I having fun? It's incredibly confusing to be a 14-year-old today. You know, it sounds appealing to be able to do or be anything you want, but it's also incredibly disorienting. No place to start, not certain if you're heading in the right direction, and no way to figure it out until you're 30 years down the line. And even then, you're probably going to be confused. The culture has left Christianity, but the church has not responded well. So what do we do? What's our approach? How can we respond well? First, we need to be the sort of people and the sort of church that enters and understands the culture that we live in. And that means actually entering and understanding people. We need to know people who have left the church, that means they're de-churched, or have rejected Christianity. Maybe they're unchurched altogether. We need to enter into their lives and understand the questions, the problems, the anger, the issues that they've dealt with. We need to do a better job of entering and understanding our culture and not just slamming it. The church has done that very well. <laughs> Second, we need to consider how to respond to the, church, to the culture in two ways. One is what things can be embraced and celebrated. You know there is no such thing as a perfect culture. There never has been. The 1950s were great for some people, not if you were African-American in the South. No culture is without its sin, but every culture has things that can be celebrated. 
What things in our culture align with the ways of God and should be celebrated? You know, one of them is the value of humanity. Every human is endowed with dignity and value. That's something our culture today is really embracing. And that's something we should get behind. In a sense, that's what the Bible says. We are made in the image of God. Every one of us has value. It's not you have value because you've produced something. You are valuable because God made you. So where the culture is doing that, we should celebrate that. But we also need to consider where the culture needs to be challenged and retold under Christ. For example, materialism or wealth. The church has been very vocal about some sins. Materialism doesn't seem to be one of them. We, by and large, overlooked it. It's idolatry, it's enslavement, the fact that having more, getting more, might be the answer to the satisfaction I'm actually looking for. It's just as much of a sin as anything else. And it needs to be challenged and retold. Where are you going to find your satisfaction and joy? Is it buying the next thing? Or is it in Christ? And third, we need to learn how to live into and proclaim the gospel in this cultural moment. We need to do a better job of taking the truth of Christianity and applying it to the culture we live in. Somebody like Paul did that very well. If you read through the book of Acts, you can find him speaking in synagogues, talking about how Jesus is the answer to the historical narrative of Judaism. He is the answer to the problem of sin. And then he goes to Athens and doesn't talk about sin or Jesus being the answer to the history of prophecy. He says, you're looking for gods. All the Athenians were worshiping idols. He said, but the true God you're looking for is this Jesus. He has the same gospel, but he applies it in different ways. We don't do a good job of that. Understanding the world we live in and taking the same gospel and translating it to a world that thinks it is a foreign language, because it is. And that's why, over this summer, we're going to go out of the way that we normally do, which is going through books of the Bible, and we're going to use two books in popular culture, Christian books, and look at, go through a series that we're calling Questioning Christianity. So every one of you should have one of these cards, question mark on the back, and what's happening in the coming months on the front. If you look at this, it'll give you the different topics that we're going to hit on as we go through this. We're going to use two books, and we're giving them out for free, although there's only 40 of them out there. But take them, and you can also order them, and we'll order more. The first one is Unchristian by David Kinnaman, head of the Barna Research Group. In that book, he catalogs the primary problems that millennials have with the church, and specifically with Christians. They are hypocrites. They're focused on trying to convert me. They seem like they're isolated and ignorant. Politics, they're all focused on politics. And then in the latter half of the summer, we're going to look at The Reason for God by Tim Keller and the seven questions that he saw as the most common questions people asked him in New York City when challenging Christianity. Like, how can you believe Jesus is the only way? Or, how can you believe the Bible is true? The goal, the aim of this series is to understand better people's perceptions and questions. Really, we want to actually understand it. My hope is that if you come here with some of these questions and we don't answer them well, I want you to tell me. 
I want to also know your questions if you have them and they align with some of these because the nuance of your question is gonna be different than the ones that are put down on the pages or that I'm gonna talk about. We want to understand the questions that are being asked better. Second, we want to discover what Christianity has to say about these questions and problems for ourselves and for others that we're friends with. I want us over the course of this summer to think well about the Christian message and about a Christ-like approach to living in this world. And ultimately, I want to prepare us as a church to be the church not just in this culture, but for this cultural moment. I am not confident that we will accomplish all of that, but that's the general aim. So read along in Scripture, read along in the books, and come with your questions So just finishing out our time this morning, let's begin, let's begin to start thinking well about how to respond to this unchristian cultural moment that we're in. How do we respond well to an unchristian culture? The first thing I want us to be able to do is to be aware of and recognize our own enculturation. This was a problem in Corinth that Paul was speaking to we see it specifically in verse 12. Paul says to the Corinthians, a church that he had started, he says to them, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given by God. If you read through the whole of Corinthians, what he's talking about in here is what the Corinthians were doing that was wrong, which is this. They were mixing the spirit of the world, i.e. the culture of the day, with Christian theology. They were blending the two of them, and at different points and in different areas, the spirit of the age was having authority over Christianity. And Paul says to them, as he says throughout this entire letter of 1 Corinthians, stop. Stop turning to the world around you. Stop looking at the culture and living by its standards. You have the spirit of God in you and you have the gospel, which is the truth of God for you. Follow that, not look around you and get your signposts by the culture. And of course, this is a critique of us as Christians as well. The culture of America is our culture too. It's the air we breathe. Most of us, for example, have an element of moral relativism in our theology. Christianity says the Bible is to be our ultimate authority, that through the doctrines of the church carried on from centuries and understood by the church at large, our lives are supposed to submit to the word of God. But most of us determine what's right and wrong by a mix of Christianity and what I think. It's my personal views mixed with Christianity. Whenever I do that, I am becoming a moral relativist. I'm accepting that the cultural narrative, that what anyone says is true and right and good, must be true and right and good, instead of God's narrative. And it's hard for us to see this because we live in this culture. We're going to, by nature, be individualists in the way we approach church, marriage, life decisions. 
I wonder if the Bible calls us to something different. Christianity should challenge our own cultural tendencies and assumptions. It should be constantly challenging and redirecting us. And that's why I want us as individuals and as a church to consider the cost of discipleship. To follow Jesus is going to cost you in this culture. It will. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, go and sell everything and come follow me. That's an incredible sacrifice. Go and sell everything and follow you, Jesus? It was too hard for him. To his disciples, he said, your own family are going to reject you because of me. You are going to lose friends if you follow me. Do you still want to follow me? It's going to be hard, and it should be hard, to have it both ways. At times, following Jesus is going to cost us. Jesus said to the disciples, take up your cross and follow me. Will we? Jesus seems to challenge everyone. And I think he wants to challenge us too. To ask us if we're willing to sell our cultural idols to follow him. It's hard. I'm not fully ready for that. And if you are, I want your answers. Because it's incredibly hard in the world in which we live. I want us to recognize our own enculturation, and secondly, I want us to stick to the gospel. I think as we start to understand how to respond to the culture around us, it's when we stray from the gospel that we get involved in hypocrisy, too much political political stuff, too much focus on people's wrongs, focus on Jesus. You see, what is God's response to a godless culture? It's Jesus. It's the incarnation and the crucifixion. Think about how God responds to a godless world. He responds with incarnation. God enters a disbelieving culture and people. God enters to reveal himself and to love that world. That means we as Christians can't be the sort of people who avoid those around us, those outside, the unchurched or dechurched. We need to meet, learn from, understand, get to know, love those who disagree with us, at least better than we have as a church. The incarnation and the crucifixion. What's Jesus' response to a sinful world? He dies for that sinful world. He dies for even those who crucify him, to offer them forgiveness. Jesus doesn't walk around trying to defeat the culture or conquer the culture. He dies for the culture. He dies for people who rejected him. And that's a, an example for us as well to be the sorts of people who give and forgive and sacrifice and love those who reject Christianity or even us. Sticking to the gospel. It's what Paul did. It was his approach in Corinth. Corinth was a city that loved the culture. 
and was bound up by it. But listen to what Paul says in the first couple of verses that were read. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And then in verse three, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In that ancient culture, the way it worked was this, is if you were a traveling philosopher or evangelist, you would walk into a city, you would gather people together, and you would wow them with your rhetoric and your wisdom, your grasp of philosophy and the way you were going to teach them. You would get patrons, rich people, who would pay for you to stay there, give you a large room in which every day you would teach, and people would come and pay money to hear you teach, not just because you were incredibly wise, but because of your methodology. They wanted people who were incredible rhetoricians. Paul disdained that. We don't know whether he was actually good at it but didn't do it, or whether he just simply couldn't do it. Instead, he comes in and he says, here's here's all I did. I came to know Christ and him crucified, nothing else, because that's what I wanted you to know, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And people came to faith. It's literally a miracle that anyone would come to faith in Jesus Christ if you listen to the message. The gospel is counterintuitive. It's counter to most cultures. You see, the gospel was not popular back then. It's not like back in the first century, oh, everyone thought this was the greatest thing. Paul talked about it earlier in 1 Corinthians that the Greeks valued wisdom, the Jews valued power, and yet Paul preached a crucified savior. This was absolute foolishness. The Jews thought a savior who dies instead of conquers the Romans, that's ridiculous. And the Greeks themselves, they valued wisdom and philosophy, and you're talking about a man who you say is God who died. And yet the power of God for salvation was found in that very message. Jesus Christ in him crucified. There has never been a time when the gospel hasn't been counter to the culture but there has also never been a time when the gospel hasn't been exactly what the culture needed. Jesus is the best response to every cultural moment. Jesus is not a philosophy. He is not a set of moral rules. He cannot be reduced to a doctrine or a lesson. He is a person to be known. And that actually fits our cultural moment very well. People want to be known. They're desperate for relationship, and God offers that to us through Jesus. Jesus is transcendent and personal. He is truthful and loving. He defies categories, and he challenges every one of us. You see, he both calls us to radical discipleship and holy obedience, and he dies for us. He sacrifices himself. He endures the wrath of God to offer us heaven. How would Jesus respond to the gender-bred person poster and that 14-year-old girl standing in front of it? I think he would weep. I think his heart would be broken. I think he would listen to her and the struggle she has with finding herself, with understanding her own identity and her place in this world. 
with no authority, no structures. Go, go find yourself. I think he would listen to her. And I think he would tell her, I love you. I died for you. What you're looking for and what you're made for are found in me. And while the kid standing in front of that poster might not believe and follow Jesus, she would be very certain of Jesus' authenticity and humility and love for her. Jesus is not an argument, but he is the only hope any of us have. And in the end, I'm also very hopeful. I am hopeful that God will prevail, the church will endure, may or may not be here. I am also hopeful that a culturally sensitive, spiritually wise, humble, honest, and sin-confessing people who are loving and gospel-proclaiming, that a church like that has a role to play in God's plan for this cultural moment. Let's pray. God, as we look at the world around us, there is a lot of confusion, a lot of anger. Many in here don't understand the world in which we live and find it very fearful. Many others find it wonderful. Every culture and every person is one you have made. So enter this culture through us and find ways, may we find ways through you to fulfill your purposes, to be Jesus to this world, a living gospel to those who need Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Takes away.